This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 233, recorded Wednesday, October 21st, 2015. I think there was something different about that intro music. I didn't hear anything different. Uh, that was sa- fine. Sounded the same to me. Seemed to yeah, work. Seemed I to work like just me, as well. Uh, I do like me my Huey Lewis in the news. Yeah, he's he's very good. It's very I, good. Uh, I saw them live once back in 1987, 88 maybe. It's a long time ago. It was. Where did they play? Castle Rock in the Michigan. Sioux? Oh, no, in Michigan. Michigan. Yeah, we <laughs> traveled for a bit. They wouldn't come to Sault Ste. Marie. No, it's Huey Lewis, man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> He's got way better things to do. They had the Tower of Power horns with them, which was a phenomenal horn section. Oh my God, these guys were great. That sounds a great band. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Well, Huey Lewis, it's Back to the Future Day. That's why that yeah. was played. So uh, it is 30 years, or it's October 21st, 2015, which is the day that Marty and Doc and Jennifer go forward to in Back to the Future 2. So that movie is now officially taking place in the past. Yes, because they were worried that their kids would turn out to be assholes. That's right. (laughs) What, do we become assholes or something? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Back to the Future is one of my all-time favorite movies, and I enjoy number two and number three not quite as much, but almost as much. I must admit uh, they are are fun movies, and uh, I watch them at least once or twice a year. I watch them at least once a year, too. We have, uh, for some reason, my wife and I watch the entire series every New Year's Day. That's a nice, that's a good tradition. I like that. Yeah, and then probably you know dip into them once uh, at another point in, during the year. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're always there. They're waiting for you. If you need something to watch, that's you know you just want to put it on, and you know it's going to be great. Put on Back to the Future. Yeah, why not? It's good times. All right. Well, happy Back to the Future Day, everybody. Uh, hopefully, you had uh, found a way to celebrate if that's your thing. And, I celebrated uh, by working all day. Yeah, me too. That's exactly what I did. And whipping together that new intro music for this show right before we started. Super duper. <laughs> all right. So we are here to do our feedback show for Yay. the latest episode of The Walking Dead, which was called JSS, Season 6, Episode 2. And I think we're just going to dive right in. So here we go. Listener feedback. You can't dive right in without doing that, so... That means we're starting. Done. Okay. First email comes from Jason on the internet, but it's not you. No, no. You're not no. on the internet. No, no, no. Okay. Hardly. <laughs> Jason writes, the moment I saw that the truck horn was the source of the sound at the end of the first episode, I was expecting the Walker Parade to show up. My wife thought the parade must be pretty far away considering the distance to the quarry, so it makes sense that they didn't show up this episode. But that got me thinking. How far away can you hear a tractor-trailer horn? I just don't see how the horn could have been loud enough to attract all the walkers at that distance. I mean, it's got to be at least a 45-minute walk away. Even if walkers are slow, I assume Rick and the others are traveling as fast as they can. So I would guess to say a 47-minute walk. They're going to be there, (laughs) like, pretty damn quick, I think. Uh, Right away, because the uh, kitchen timer was 45 minutes, you said, right? Yes. And the episode more or less played out in real time, which is cool. Yeah. Right? It's, she turned that 45-minute counter on, maybe at the 15-minute mark of the show, and 45 minutes later it went off and the episode ended. Awesome. Which is really cool, but 
it does get you thinking how far away are they and how far could you hear that horn. Now, I will say this. In regular modern life, civilization, it's very loud. There's uh, other vehicles, oh. there's planes, there's people, yeah. there's all kinds of stuff. In the zombie apocalypse, there's none of that, so it's a lot quieter. Yeah. I can hear, uh, I'm actually about a kilometer and a half from Highway 401, and uh, in, at night, I can hear it. Yeah, the hi- Highway 401 is a, a massive, like, 16-lane highway that runs through Toronto. Yeah. And I'm pretty close to it, too, although much different part, but uh, I can hear it as well at night. I can hear the cars. Yeah. So I, I think, uh, uh, would it take me 45 minutes to walk there? No. Could I, he- oh, it's shamble, sorry. Could I shamble there in 45 minutes? Uh, I think it probably would take me 45 minutes to shamble there. So I would say that they could hear the horn two kilometers away and, uh, you know, a, a relaxed walking pace. Uh, is about four kilometers per hour. So if they're a couple of two kilometers away, I think that that's uh, that's about right for walker distance. Hmm. Yeah. I I just think though that the horn at the uh, when Rick heard it and everybody out there heard it sounded a lot louder <laughs> than it would it if did. if you know if it was really that far away. So I think there's something we just have to let go here and not worry about it too much. But yeah, they're, the horn sounded like it was a lot closer than they are, but the distance or the time it's taking them to get back would indicate that it's a little farther. So there, I don't think they were just playing the horn like in, in, the, uh, in the season premiere. They weren't just playing the horn. They were playing the horn, horn at the volume that, the, uh, that our, the Rick and the gang were perceiving it. Like, oh my God, a loud noise. Mm-hmm. Because we, we are used to loud noises all the time. We don't find them as distressing as someone who would, who's trying to lead a, a walker parade. Uh, so they found it distressing. So I think that it was played up. It just, it, it was louder in order to be in our consciousness as much as it would be in their consciousness. Right. Okay. Why wouldn't they hear all the gunfire though that's happening back at Alexandria? Oh, it's not as loud as a horn. Gunfire not as not as loud as a horn. You're you're not going to hear that, I guess. Yeah, pop 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 pop. Mm, somebody's doing something. Somebody's making popcorn, huh? How yeah. about that? Pop, Anyways, pop. it's uh, it's all going to not matter soon because they heard that horn, uh, and they are heading back now as soon as they can. They're going to show up, basically. I think right after that that battle at Alexandria yeah. has ended, they'll show up at the beginning of the next episode. PDQ. What's that mean? Pretty damn quick. Oh, there you go. See, perfect. All right, next we have Andrea in West Virginia, USA. So I thought this episode was set up to show us that Enid was a wolf, or at the very least, a scout for the wolves. I thought the fact fact that she was casually walking to see Carl to say goodbye was strange, but then suspected her loyalty when she started talking about how unsafe the town is, how it's too big, how too many blind spots, how it's too easy to break into. And then she said something like, how else do you think we but trailed off and stopped herself. Then at the end, the JSS revealed uh, to be just survived somehow, which sounds like, uh, it sounds like she has to tell herself to get through or maybe as a motto, so they give, uh, oh, it might be a motto they give to the scout members, uh, scouts or members of the wolves, that is. I thought this idea was also supposed to be her ability to get in and out undetected, which would be handy 
a handy scout spy skill so she can go meet in or leave information for the wolves. You have to admit that it was odd that the wolves uh, picked a day when the major badasses, except for Carol, of course, were gone from town. Anyway, that's just my thoughts on it. So this topic of Enid is one that we got many, many emails on. And the internet has kind of exploded with speculation on this, that Enid is actually a wolf and she's been planted inside Alexandria as a spy or a mole or something like that. And she's there to gather information and bring it back out to them. Which I suppose is within the realm of possibility, the but, possibility exists. Yes. But However, I, the probability does not. I'm I'm not so sure it is true. Now, that being said, we don't know exactly why she sneaks out or, or where she goes. I mean, I know Carl followed her last season and they ended up, um, you know, she was pretty aware of him being there. She knew the whole time. So she's got some, some skills and, and so on. But is she a wolf? Is she a spy? I don't know. Um Let's go to the next one here from Chris in the UK, because he kind of counters the idea here. He says, a lot of people online think this episode confirms that Enid is working with the wolves. I think this is people trying to be too clever for their own good. If Enid is working with the wolves, the cold open for this episode is pointless at best and insulting at worst. It was clearly supposed to be a potted history of Enid's life before Alexandria. If somewhere in there she meets up with and joins the wolves, but they don't include that because it's going to be a surprise later, then that's a pretty cheap trick. For what it's worth, why wouldn't the wolves just kill her? What can she offer them? And what is she getting out of it? The case for saying this episode proves Enid's guilt seems to be based on Enid's line, uh, which Carl cuts short, that's how we got out. Is this not a reference to the time she and Carl got out and had that intimate moment in a hollow tree? She's resigned to life being a constant torrent of really bad things that you just have to force your way through. She's not horrified by the attack on Alexandria, and she's never bought into the idea that they were safe in the first place. Mm. Right? I, I think Chris has a good point here. No one seems to be—everyone's focusing on the fact that she started to say— you know, how do you think we did something, as in yeah. we being the wolves, like, right? She's saying, you can't protect this place. It's too big. That's why it was so easy for us to get in and, and yeah. attack you, right? But I think I think I'm with Chris here in that she she's talking to Carl, and she's saying, you can come and go in this place, even though you think it's secure. That's how we were able to sneak out and go make out in that tree and then come back in, and nobody was the wiser. Yeah, I agree with the Chris's. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, it just it just feels a little bit more plausible, right? That that's what's going on. Um, but I mean, as I said, her being a wolf or a a spy of some kind is within the realm of possibility. So it may play out that way. But I hope it's more than just you know something they've held back for us or tried to trick us by showing her a little bit of her story leading up to Alexandria just to turn the tables later. That That's not going to be great, I don't think. No, and, and I think that's probably the uh, the best argument for Enid not being a, uh, a wolf is that is that cold open. Yeah, that we've seen something of her life before she got there. Given nothing else, had we seen nothing else but the evidence presented in this episode outside the cold open, then I might be a little bit more on board with her being a wolf. You know, she's there to gather information and, and feed it out to them. But, um, you know, I, I think they've 
gone a different route. Yeah. And we'll see. Yeah. All right. Next we have Gary in sunny Bolton, UK. Sorry to point this out. Only doing so because you said it so many times. <laughs> the animal Enid ate was a tortoise, not a turtle. Thank you, Gary. So we got a lot of emails on the last topic, the Enid topic. We got more emails on the turtle problem or the yeah. tortoise problem. The tortoise problem. Okay, so first of all, I know that a tortoise is a land-based animal and a turtle is a not land-based water of some kind. They have flippers. Tortoises have feet. Yes, tortoises right. generally live on land um, and turtles live in water. Yeah, so I know the difference. Yes. I just don't care that much. Right. So, so when I said turtle, yeah. uh, you just went with it. Yeah, because my brain just like fine, that's fine. It's a it's a turtle. I mean, it's it looks it's like got a, turtle. a shell. It's yeah. a, turned its ribs into a shell of some kind. All right, but fine with me. To be fair, Gary, and to everyone else who wrote in about that, I guess it's a tortoise. Well, it is a tortoise, and uh, maybe we should have been more accurate in what we called it. Yeah, or you can uh, always be as accurate as uh, my grade thirteen back when they had grade thirteen in Ontario. My grade thirteen physics teacher. Uh, he always uh, referred to the fable of the tortoise and the hare. Tortoise. So he, he always called it a tortoise. I'm so not... you could be that accurate and refer to it as a tortoise. And by accurate, you mean completely inaccurate. That that was he was such a weird man, and he was not kidding. This was an actual. Uh, he was serious about calling it a tortoise and uh, meaning it. That's that's bizarre, man. I've never heard it pronounced man. that way before. It's not like tomato tomato, where both are correct, even though one yeah. is more correct than the other. It's turtle or tortoise. Tortoise. <laughs> Tortle or tortoise. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll try to we'll try to call it a tortoise from now on, and uh, if another one comes up on the show, we'll make sure we get it right. We'll call it a a, a rugen. There's one more topic. That uh, we got a lot of email on this week, which we'll get to in a little bit. But um, because of these things, because of things like our our misunderstanding of what the animal was, uh, we probably got three to four times as much email this about our last awesome. podcast as usual. So that's I great. like it when people uh, write in to correct us. It's it's crowdsourcing at its finest. It really is. It really is because I probably never would have thought about it again. Uh, or yeah, I mean, me neither. I mean, I would, I might have thought about the episode or watched it again or something, but I would never have thought, man, I called that thing a turtle when it's a tortoise. I had the conversation about with my wife about the salmonella and the turtle, and we talked about the salmonella and the turtle. She didn't correct me. Nobody said I didn't anything. Correct her. We don't. I guess we don't care in Canada. We need the source. That's an interesting point. I I didn't include his email here, but another listener wrote in from the UK and gave us the same explanation and asked, do you make the distinction in Canada? Maybe you don't. But well, there we is do. the definite distinction. We are aware of the distinction. We just really don't care, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't know. Or it didn't occur to me at the time. All right, let's move on. All right. Uh, it's me, right? Shannon yeah. in Louisville, Kentucky. Morgan's newfound pacifism is making me crazy. When your dedication to not killing is allowing the people who are trying to kill you and have already brutally killed other innocent people go free, I suggest adjusting your philosophy. Does he really think admonishing the wolves he let go uh, for their life choices is going to matter? There really needs to be a balance between kill everyone and kill no one. I'm guessing that the guy Morgan let go will appear again to kill off some beloved character. 
right? So on the one hand, you've got kill no one. On the other hand, you've got kill everyone. And in the middle, you've got kill someone. Right. Mini, you know, that's right. Miniature American flags for everybody or whatever. <laughs> Isn't that what Kang or Kodo said? Yeah. Yes. All right. Anyways, um, yes, you've got the two extremes. But this got me thinking that this show, in a way, is about... One of the themes is finding that middle ground. Yeah. And they've done this before. Like Rick, you know, he's either Farmer Rick or he was Rictatorship Rick. And he had to figure out a way to find a middle ground between those things. And he still struggles with it because he comes into Alexandria, waves guns around, and shoots people in the face. Yeah. Which is pretty extreme. Um, but now we're seeing Morgan go through a similar uh, crisis of mentality, I guess, where he's killing everybody, which he was doing in clear. Um, or, he's killing zombies in clear. Yeah. He's still doing that. He's, I guess so, but he was a little nuts in clear. Like he, he, he had to be talked down from by, when by the you know, cheese by maker Rick <laughs> and by the cheese maker. Yeah, um, but <laughs> now he's on a kill no one stretch, right? Although at the end, I'm pretty sure he killed the black haired, long black haired, dirty looking wolf guy. Yeah. Um, but it's an interesting point that you know there are extremes, and when you're in the zombie apocalypse, people maybe tend to go to one extreme or the other. But it's all about finding the right balance between the two. Yeah. And I've always thought that consistency is the refuge of the weak-minded. It is, eh? So make yeah. make uh, make changes. When you need to. Like be right. uh, mentally agile enough to adjust hard rules mm-hmm. as the situation need, the dictates. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, you have to react to the situation, not to what you've always done in the past. Right. You know, personally, I've never actually killed anyone. But I'm not totally opposed to it, you know, under the right circumstances. If it comes up and it has to be done, I'll probably do it and then uh, break down and cry and be a mental disaster for the rest of my life. Even more than you already are. Even more than I am already. I'm just joking. You're not that much of a mental disaster. You're, you have one of the, you have some of the hardest mental fortitude of anyone I know. How? How? Like what? What have I? What has happened that has, has required this intestinal fortitude? No, mental, not intestinal. <laughs> I have no idea about that. <laughs> uh, I just mean that you uh, you think things through and you've put a lot of thought into into your own personal existence and uh, uh, maybe not from a metaphysical or a philosophical angle, but maybe, um, but just from a day to day life existence, you've put a lot of thought okay. into it. All right, and that that well, maybe I just I'm good at bullshit. And I just make it up as I go along. Well, maybe that's true too, but that requires mental fortitude. Right. Not intestinal fortitude. No, 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 no. I hope you have some of that too, but not too much. Um, but when you look at this show, as I said, it's one or the other. And and even amongst characters, right? Shane is one extreme versus, at the time, Rick, who was another extreme. I mean, this kind of theme comes up a lot on this show. And we're going to see Morgan go through it too. Although maybe not as much because it seems like he's already kind of finding his way. <laughs> right. Right. I'm not going to kill anyone. Oh, until the end, I'll kill that guy. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. All, All right. right. Next, we have Donna in San Francisco, but originally Australia. Very nice. Uh, Morgan would have killed them all with his way. How long did it take him, uh, for him and the father to tie up that one dude? If he kept going like that, the wolves would have breached the armory and with the guns would have killed everybody. Carol saved Alexandria. Without her ruthless handling, they would have all died. Right. So Morgan means that 
everyone would have been everyone would have died if sort of everyone had done it his way. Right. Uh, not that Let's Morgan tie would them be up everyone. and then tell them they're bad people and ask them nicely to leave. Yeah, that's not going to work. And I think that's another good point here by Donna that uh, by the time he ran around, knocked everybody out and tied them up, you'd have lost four more people because the wolves don't take their time. They just run around slicing people in half. Yeah, it's like whack-a-mole. I mean, sure, you can sit there with that little rubber mallet and whack the moles and get your points, but uh, you'd be a lot more thorough thorough if you do what I do and just rip the damn machine apart and get the moles and rip them up and throw them away. Because <laughs> then those moles are whacked. <laughs> your attitude is whack, man. <laughs> it's supposed to be fun. <laughs> yeah, but they keep coming back. They're just, you whack the moles for a little while and they keep popping up their heads. It's like, no, if you want to take care of the moles, you got to get into that machine. You got to get into the guts and rip them out of there. Do you, do you play Hungry Hungry Hippos with the same attitude? Uh, I've never played Hungry Hungry Hippos. What? Wow, I've, I've never, I've never, I've never played Rock'em Sock'em Robots either. It's always been a dream of mine, but I've never done it. <laughs> I have a dream to play Rock'em Sock'em Robots and Hungry Hungry Hippos. Well, Hungry Hungry Hippos, I have a a, a game of it here, so you can come to my I'll, house someday and try it. I'll be right there. In fact, the odd thing is, I'm holding a Hungry Hungry Hippo ball in my finger right nice. now. Yeah, is it a little plastic ball it's or little, is it a marble? No, it's a plastic white ball, not a marble. <laughs> We're gonna That's re- how you pronounce that, right? We're Marble. Gonna, we're gonna between 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 tortoise and marble. We're gonna reinvent the English language this episode. Yeah, I guess so. Moving on, uh, Alan on the internet writes: "Guessing I won't be the only listener to write in about this, but when I watched and rewatched the scene where Morgan rescues Gabriel, uh, I was sure he learnt from a change maker." I rewatched after hearing your episode, and it was still a little unclear. I'm still hearing change maker, though. Well, that's not really a good profession. A change, one who changes things, or one no, who a changes. change maker. I have a whole bunch of uh, oh, quarters, and you just I give want, me dollars. It's I like, want, how do you make money doing that? Cheese making, you can make money at, but change making, you do not make money at. It was, uh, it was cheese making. I went back to the the iTunes version of the episode turned on the closed captioning and they have cheese making in the closed captioning on screen. So they could be wrong. I mean, that's wouldn't be the first time iTunes has get something wrong. Good God. They number episodes in an insane oh, way. Geez. Somebody's <clears throat> got to train that the monkey that numbers the episodes to do better. Yo, I agree. They number them all wrong. <sighs> um, so I'm not saying they couldn't have got it wrong, but when I listened to it, I heard cheese maker, you heard Cheesemaker. I think most of the world heard Cheesemaker, and the text said Cheesemaker. So I'm going to go with Cheesemaker. Yeah, Changemaker doesn't make any sense to me. One who <laughs> who takes a quarter and gives back five nickels. Well, maybe he meant the machine. Maybe I learned this from a machine. You know, you go to the uh, <laughs> like cafeterias, we'll have them when or they an have arcade, uh, yeah. yeah, or an arcade. Yeah, you put in your dollar and you get quarters and stuff. Yeah. It's like the, the best slot machine ever. You always win. But you'll you'll always go home with the same amount. That you know, for a slot machine, that's pretty damn good. That's really good for a slot machine. <laughs> yeah, it's the best slot machine ever. All right then. Uh, all right. So where are we? Patience in Hershey. Uh, will the uh, will the wolf with a gun kill someone important? And Morgan will now uh, will know it's his fault. When Morgan walked off at the end with the gun on his hip, is he going to hunt down the wolves and set that he set free? Uh, the wolves he set free? No. Uh, I have two things to say about this. Number one, 
that seems to be what they're setting up. Like the wolf takes a gun away, which the fact that Morgan let that lets that happen is inexcusable. Really, he he should have thrown his quarterstaff at him. He should have done anything. Like he should have. Would have come back. Oh, probably. It's a it was, boomerang. It was sort of like, like a boomerang. What do you call a boomerang that doesn't come back? Uh, a, stick. a stick. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I almost said a banana, but you know. <laughs> I heard that joke the other day. But yeah, it's I'm pretty good. Adding it to my list. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um. No, I I do think that him not preventing that wolf from picking up that gun is inexcusable. I mean, what stops the wolf from just turning around and shooting Morgan with it? Like. It made no sense at all. So the show must be setting something up with that gun. What I hope, though, is it's not what we think. If he just comes back someday and that gun is used to kill someone, um, either even a, even a secondary character, I'm going to be pissed off because that's too easy and too obvious. Um, if Morgan himself gets shot by it, that's a little bit, little bit better because at least, you know, he made his own bed. Now he has to get shot in it. But... Right. Um, I hope he doesn't kill him because that would suck. Uh, but anyways, I just think it was the dumbest thing, and uh, and I hope it doesn't play out the way sort of everyone expects it to. Or if they do something totally creative with it, that's fine. If we never see the gun again, that'll be weird. But also, I think that would be better than having that that uh, wolf come back and killing somebody with it just just to give Morgan the motivation he needs to get out of his like kill nobody attitude. Yeah. I think it is going to come back, but I don't think it's going to come back in the obvious way. Well, and that, that's all I'm saying. I hope that's the case cuz you know, obvious is bad usually. Yeah. Uh all right. What's who's next? I lost track. Pete in California. And it's me, Pete in California. Is it just me or is it odd the wolves don't have guns? It seems that in the zombie apocalypse, a group should be heavily armed if they are going to attack another group and plan on succeeding. Imagine if the wolves attacked Woodbury, the prison, Terminus, or Grady Memorial with mostly knives and axes. They would have been cut to pieces. Yeah. <laughs> they would have. All of those places uh, were full of guns and I don't, that's it. I don't think the wolves are very smart. I think they're not—they're uh, not doing things in a methodical, thought-out fashion. They're just kind of uh, living and being and uh, doing stuff. I think they probably had guns, but uh, they're all out of ammo now. Yeah, maybe. I mean, no one else in the show seems to ever run out of ammo, but somebody you think would. So maybe they did. Yeah. But why don't you read the next one? It sort of addresses that. The next couple, actually. All right. We have Travis in Ozark, Missouri. I guess I gave the wolves too much credit. I expected them to have an elaborate and sinister plan to take Alexandria by luring the mega herd towards the community. Now I'm not so sure they know the mega herd even exists. Just from this episode, they seemed like a bunch of idiots with knives and a semi truck. The horn was an accident, and they seemed to have no greater plan than to scale the wall and kill people. I guess I shouldn't be surprised that a group calling themselves the Wolves act more like a pack of wolves than a James Bond villain. Yeah, they just don't have a plan, and that, and they they don't seem to have any idea of what's going on, really. Yeah. Right. Um, unless we have been duped here, and the Wolves really did have some kind of a plan. For example, attacking Alexandria when a big portion of the town was away doing some something else. Right. Right. I mean, that would be a smart thing to do if you wanted to, you know, generate an upper hand for yourself. But we don't know that yet. So I don't know. There's probably more to learn about the wolves, um, which we'll get in future episodes. 
Um, along the same lines, we've got Christian from San Antonio, Texas here. And uh, this is about the wolves chopping people up and a few other things. So Christian says, I believe the purpose of the scene is to show us just how savage the group is. During the iTunes extras, Gail Ann Hurd tells us that the wolves have embraced savagery, and that's something the Alexandrians cannot imagine. That was a quote. In a way, neither can some of the audience, so it helps to see it. If we take a walk down memory lane, we see that the writers have always come up with different human threats each season. The Vatos were a street gang based on familial relationships. Woodbury was a dictatorship with a military hierarchy. The Mad Dogs were a gang with a simple code. The Terminus people were cannibals, but highly organized and methodic. Grady Memorial Hospital turned into a matriarchy that was merit-based. The writers have so far not repeated themselves. So what's new about the Wolves this season is that they are the most irrational group our heroes have ever faced. They have no concept of family, no clear hierarchy, and no system of rules. They are poorly organized, uh, and until the attack on Alexandria, they did not even have any firearms. They are savages first and scavengers second. Who else would itself inflict a W on their foreheads or axe a poor woman down the way that wolf did? They are the rejects that wouldn't have succeeded as Vatos, Woodburians, Mad Dogs, Termites, or Grady Knights. Grady Knights. Knights. Grady Knights. There we go. Um, so what do you think about that? That these guys are basically savages and kind of that makes them unpredictable. Yeah. Uh, I, I absolutely agree with that. And uh, and I think that's that's a very good point that uh, that Christian made. But does it make them more dangerous because of this? Uh, no, it doesn't. They're, you know, anybody who is uh, poorly equipped, poorly armed, malnourished, and uh, unorganized is probably not that much of a threat. Um, before anyone writes in, I think he meant disorganized, but anyways. Uh, what did I say? Un- unorganized. Unorganized? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't that a word? Uh, we'll find out if it's not. I think it's disorganized, though. Oh, give me a break. Unorganized is a real word. That's it's impossible not to be a word. No, that's right. Um, I j- unorganized. I, that's a word. I don't. Well, unorganized, not uh, representing by or formal into a labor union. What? Not organized. <laughs> yeah. Unorganized. That's a real word. Look it up, my but, friend. But it's not the word you meant. Sorry. Unorganized means like a group of people that are not part of a formal organization. The word well, you're looking... I'm sure that they do not have a charter. Okay, that's fine. Or a mandate. The word you were looking for is disorganized, <laughs> meaning trying right. to do something without a plan. I think those are different. Anyways, All doesn't right. matter. You, you sure? Because they might have been a tortoise. <laughs> they might have been. God, what is going on? Something silly in the air tonight. Yeah. Um, must be Back to the Future Day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that having the wolves be completely savage, savage based or savages. Um, I think that may make them a little more dangerous. They may not have weapons. They may not have a plan, but you never know what they're going to do. You can't predict what they're going to do. And I think part of defending a town like that, you have to think about ways that it can be attacked. And you might not think of things that the wolves are going to do, and therefore you can't be ready for it. Yeah. If they're unpredictable, I mean, uh, they, they sort of are predictable, though, because, and uh, I mean, Morgan at the end asked them to leave and talked them into actually leaving, and they did. If they were really, like, hardcore, crazy savages, they would have just attacked. I, I guess. 
Uh, but but even even like savages know when they're defeated, right? Uh, yes and no. I guess not. I mean, that's part of the unpredictability, maybe. But I mean, you you stand in a group of five bears and try and talk them out of uh, eating you for lunch, and uh, they will not leave. No, bears are they different. They may not though. come near you with the, if you're swinging a stick at them, but uh, eventually they'll come after you. <laughs> yeah, well, bears bears are notoriously bad listeners. We all know that. Um, yeah. These people, I don't know. I, th- I think it is a bit of a different threat, which is what Christian was saying that we haven't seen before. And maybe it'll be easier for the group to deal with. Maybe it'll be harder. I, th- I think, at the very least, it's unpredictable. So you never know what's going to happen, and... Something might go wrong that you're able to deal with, but it still goes wrong up front, if you, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Right? Like, the, the wolves might get their—they might get the first punch, but you'll be able to, to beat them up in the end, is, is what I'm saying. So well, I hope so. You know, uh, but we'll see. I mean, I, I think it's interesting that they are different from all the other sort of human threats that we've had on the show so far. That's true. That's very true. And when you look at it, we've got one— pretty much one per season, kind of. And I don't know that the wolves are going to be the primary human threat for season six when it's all said and done. They might be the threat for the first half or the first few episodes, but I have a feeling something else is going to go down as we get deeper into this season. Primary human threat? Carol. Well, yeah, you don't want to be on her bad side. (laughs) No, you do not. All right, next we have Ken in Arkansas. The wolves are dismembering the humans to use them as zombie weapons. Uh, when Rick and the gang came upon the gated community where Chris's family was living, they found a bunch of walkers without arms and legs. Later, when Daryl and Aaron op- opened up the semi-truck, it was full of walkers hanging and some without arms. Yeah, and by Chris, I think Ken means Noah. Noah Noah took them to where his like father and yes. brother, right? I think maybe yeah. he just got confused because Noah was on that show everybody hates Chris, wasn't he? Right. Yes. Anyways. Because everybody does hate Chris. Just to be clear, <laughs> if that's any more clear, I don't know. Um, that's right. We saw zombies dismembered there. Uh, we saw zombies in the in the car, remember, in the in the forest yep. without arms and legs. So this is the what the wolves do. Um, why exactly? We're not totally sure, but Ken is saying that, you know, to use them as weapons or defense, kind of. Like if you prop a bunch of zombies on sticks with no arms and no legs. They're not really a threat to you, but they might keep um, other zombies away because they mask the living smell yeah. sort of thing. And that's exactly what Michonne did with her uh, her friends. Right. That's it's the, the idea is the same, right? Mask her smell with, with some zombie stench or just put a bunch of zombies on sticks and like, you know, maybe, and by sticks, I mean like big stakes in the ground. Maybe other humans yeah. aren't going to really go near that. Pike. Pike. There you put go. Put them on a pike. So what you're saying is you don't actually need a corrugated tin wall all the way around your town. What you need is a wall of zombie torsos on pikes. I'm I'm just saying it's one option, yes. All right. It's probably... It's like a scarecrow. It's a scarecrow. You need a lot of them, and it would stink, and they'd probably be loud and obnoxious. Yeah. So it's not maybe as good as a wall, but it's easier to build, I would think. All you need know, is some pikes and some gross. zombie torsos. It's a bit gross. And after a while, they just rot away into nothing, and then you got to replace them. So it's probably more maintenance work, I would think. Yeah, I'd, rather, I'd rather build a wall. I think wall's probably a better idea. Yeah. And, you know, be a little... You get more exercise doing it, too. That's true. And you need exercise. All right, Herbert 
your Guatemalan fan. Yay. <laughs> uh, that's that's what he wrote. This is the his one, email. the one and only Guatemalan fan. There's probably only one, yeah. But uh, thank you, Herbert, for letting us know. Herbert writes regarding this whole Carol being rude thing. I think she played it off really well, actually. When the pasta lady said, yuck, those old noodles, or something like that, she was being really disrespectful toward Carol's cooking. Carol ignored it, but when she went on and on about it, Carol had to shut her down right away. The word you're looking for to describe the whole thing is caddy. Granted, the exchange was really tense, but I think it serves to demonstrate how detached this whole group is about what goes on outside the walls. Right. Right, so she was talking about it was Shelly, right? She was talking about Shelly or Sherry? Shit, I forget. I don't know. Anyways, she was talking about the pasta machine, which is something she was talking about last season too. So yeah. she clearly never shuts up about this pasta machine. And <laughs> it does sort of speak to her not really having a handle on what's important anymore. Yeah. <laughs> right? There's zombies everywhere trying to kill you, but she's worried about a pasta machine. Man, I wish I had a pasta machine. Yeah. Because nobody ever made pasta before they had a machine for it. No, God. And then maybe a bread maker, wouldn't that be great? You know, and a, and a, a rice boiler and stuff like that. Oh, God. rice cookers are great. Are See? Great. I love rice cookers. Yeah. You push a button, you got rice. I don't even... What could you ask for? I don't like rice that much, so it doesn't sound oh, that I love exciting rice. to me. Basmati rice? Oh. I'll take, I'll take potato over rice any day. We'll get a potato cooker then. Yeah, it's called a pot with water in it. <laughs> <laughs> See? There you go. All right. All right. Next, we have Monica on the internet. It's a long one. Get ready. <laughs> yeah, no, and I love emails just like this. Uh, I've been listening to your podcast for the better part of two years, and I was content to just be a closet listener. But due to your complete lack of understanding of the women woman's psyche, I had to write in. And she means that in the nicest way possible. Well, that makes me feel better. And I, I didn't take offense to it at all because I do not understand the the women's psyche. Like you and I are both married, but thank God, because if we weren't married, where the hell would we be? Well, probably still doing this, but maybe a lot more of it. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. All right. So uh, Monica goes on. I'm referring to your puzzlement of the pantry scene with Carol and the housewives of Alexandria, uh, where they exchange small talk about uh, the casserole recipes. You said Carol is being snippy. And why would she do that if she's trying to fit in? Well, gentlemen, that is exactly what women do when they are in a group. It's classic lady bonding. It establishes alpha female, uh, our version of chest puffing. Uh, Pasta snob lady is a classic frenemy, someone who pretends to be your friend but puts you down at every chance she has. Oh my God, how could you possibly eat that horrible stuff? Yuck. Uh, You can almost feel the other two Alexandrians bite their tongue and resisting eye rolls. Carol capitalized on that to gain rapport with the two Alexandrians. To do this, she needed to bring Pasta Lady down from her high horse and move the topic, move, uh, sorry, move is the topic switcheroo to focus on something about Pasta, uh, bad about Pasta Lady. In her case, uh, her disgusting smoking habit. Not so high and mighty now, are we? See the exchange of looks and almost smirks between the two, two other Alexandrians. Carol just became their new BFF. Carol is now their confidant. She is the first person they will gossip to, bitch to, probably about each other. Carol is now an insider. This is the first step to Carol being the queen bee of the housewives of Alexandria. All that with just one line. Carol is on her game, not off. Fair enough. I mean, clearly Monica thinks Carol knows exactly what she was doing, and I would tend to agree after reading that. 
Yeah. You know, you got to assert your dominance. And if that means putting someone down, it uh, it's going to work because the other two women in the room seem to, she's right. She They seem to be like, oh, finally, someone's putting her in her place. You know? <laughs> Shut up about your pasta machine, damn it. Yeah, we've heard. We know you want one. Someday you'll get it. Yeah. Uh, but interesting. Uh, yeah, I didn't really see it that way at all. And uh, no, me neither. So <laughs> clearly, that says more about us than than anybody else. So yeah, thank you, Monica, for that. Elizabeth in Windsor, Ontario, writes: "I'm sorry, but I have to disagree with you regarding Carol's response to killing the first Alexandrian, the woman who was stabbed by the wolf. I agree that it did mirror Rick's killing of Carter, but I feel that was to contrast Rick's and Carol's responses." Carol's kill was a mercy kill. She cradled and tried to comfort the woman before she killed her. By looking at the amount of blood on the stairs, it seems evident that there is no way she would have survived. The quick death by Carol is much preferred to the terrible way a wolf attracted to her screams would have killed her. Additionally, we see Carol sitting on the porch for a moment, looking conflicted before she is able to continue, which is a complete contrast to Rick's back-to-business response to Carter's death. Right. That's a good point. I think it is a really good point. And I saw the connection between these two scenes, but I didn't really come at it from this angle where one was in a way sort of a tender touching moment with Carol. And with Rick, it was more of a, you know, you're toast. I'm going to stab you, but we've got a job to do. And you can't say that one or the other was under more stress, right? Rick was there with the zombie parade trying to deal with that. Carol was in Alexandria being attacked by wolves. So yeah. they just handled it differently. And yeah. uh, it's, it's, it is a definitely interesting parallel uh, of scenes there, I think. Good stuff. Thank you, Elizabeth. Yeah, thank you. All right, next we have Henry in Virginia. The red A on the post is not a sticker. It's a stamp. It looks like a sticker because it has a bit of an outline, as stamps sometimes do. Earlier, when Carol finds Sam on the step and tells him to get over it, he's holding the stamp in his hand. It's another callback of sorts. At the Welcome to Alexandria party, Sam was going around stamping people's hands with it. When Carol is considering picking up that filthy smoking habit, she sees the stamp and reminds her of Sam, and she decides against smoking because she wants to set an example, or maybe stick around to care for him. Despite the way she talks to him, I think she really likes the kid. So this is the other topic that we got a crap ton of email about because you and I are morons. Well, of course. And a couple of things happened. One, we completely missed at the beginning of the episode or the first time we see Sam sitting there, he's holding the red stamp in his hand and you can very clearly see the red A right. on the end of it. He's playing with it. And then we completely forgot that last season at the cocktail party, he was going around stamping people's hand with the A. So yep. when we went on and on about where that A come from and what's it doing there and what does it mean, we're morons. Well, yeah, of course we're morons. And it's one of the reasons I like doing this podcast and being part of this community is because we are morons and I get so much more out of the show because of other people helping me figure things out because I'm a moron. And that's absolutely true. And I completely 100% agree with you that, you know, we try our best to follow along and remember everything. But when you got six seasons of stuff, it can be difficult to always 
go back. It's been four years since I've watched most of, you know, season one or season two. So uh, to be fair, this is from just last year. But but still, you know, there's a lot of content there. But it is extremely uh, rewarding to to have this huge community going and be able to bring up stuff like this. That being said, it's tough when it's right there on screen in the same episode, him holding that stamp, and we're like, uh, what's it doing there? Why what's the stamp for? <laughs> what's going Why on? Why didn't they put a sticker on the turtle? Yeah. <laughs> the turtle. <laughs> Back to that. Um, anyways, thank you to everyone who wrote in about that. Uh, but I, I pulled Henry's email here just because he sort of got into a little bit of maybe what Carol was thinking. I don't know if, you know, she saw that and she decided not to smoke that cigarette because she actually sort of cares for Sam. That may be very well true, but I'm not so sure she's thinking, I want to be his new mom. I'm like, his mother's there. She's still alive, right? For now. For now, yeah. Carol hasn't (laughs) killed her yet. Yeah, not yet. (laughs) Um, But it it was at least enough to remind her that, you know, she's still alive. There are other people still alive. And, you know, she wants to stay that way. Yeah. Right? I can tell you that if I was in the zombie apocalypse, I'd be smoking. Oh, I know. I'm sure you would be. I would. That'd be the first thing I'd do. I'd move into the nearest store with a... That had cigarettes. <laughs> and be like, I can stay here for for weeks. I live here now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> they have Coke in a can and cigarettes. Neither of which ever go bad. Um, I've never had a cigarette in my life, but maybe in the zombie apocalypse, that's when I'd start. Oh, you're missing out, my friend. I really don't think I am. No, probably not. Uh, I, miss, I miss it. Yeah, that that's different, though. All right, take us uh, into the next one there. Uh, well, I you. thought that was Henry in Virginia. Where are we? Oh, is it me? I don't know. See, we're morons. Uh, you were on Lee on the internet. Yeah, that's me. I Lee on the internet. I loved the action in the episode. That said, WTF, Walking Dead writers, how can survivors from outside the wall still have moral dilemmas while watching a brutal, unprovoked attack against unarmed people? Minus the action, I was left with plenty of, huh? i.e. zombie in the driver's seat, two guards above the wall but nothing seen, hacking the same limbs off for 10 plus minutes. This was a 5 out of 10 episode for writing. Yeah, they were, they'd spent a lot of time hacking at uh, dead bodies. Like that, that Beardo guy with the axe was uh, on the front door, the front, right near the gate, hacking at that body the whole time. Like, he's like, oh, you, you're the zombie, or you're the, you're the person I'm going to attack for the next hour. Yeah, well, we, I mean, we've already talked about sort of our theory on, or the other listeners' theory on, on why they were doing that to create the zombie weapons, more or less, but why did it take so long? That I don't know. I mean, he must be really bad with that axe. Well, kill everybody first, and then make the zombie weapons, like, also, have some priorities too. also a good idea. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna want to kill everyone, get the killing out of the way, and then do the limb hacking. So I don't know, Mister Distracto. It's like, oh look, a pretty flower. <laughs> I'm <laughs> gonna stare at it for a long time and smell and make it. it. My friend, I'm gonna name it George. Yeah, yeah. Mister Distracto. I like that. <laughs> um, but the other thing that Lee says here is two guards above the wall, but nothing seen. So. Alexandria has guys on the wall, like Richard, who got hit with the Molotov cocktail, but he can't, like, they're not, 
smart enough to like see what's going on and maybe warn everybody or start they shooting. don't know what to look for and enid had was was on point on this too and she said there's lots of uh spots you can't see yeah that's right? true so i mean it's it's not very well protected it's like oh we put up some walls but zombies have never seen the walls and nobody's ever come here so they forget about it so they got people up in the guard tower uh you know they're they're up there what are they doing they're writing a novel maybe thinking about uh thinking about plot lines and such could be, I don't know, doing anything but looking around where they're supposed to be looking around. Uh, but you're you're right. I mean, that's a good point. That's, I guess, sort of the reason that that conversation partly was there with Enid, that she's just reminding us that this place is too easy to get in. Plus, they've never been threatened, as we know, right? Yeah. So they've become extremely complacent. And you can put guys up on the wall, but if they're sitting up there writing the great next no- their great next novel and not looking around, they're not doing their job. Yeah. I think that's an interesting point. All right. We have Kevin on the internet. He writes, as a student of uh, studying civil engineering, I'd like to call bullshit on the wall being able to stand a truck driving into it at speed. If it is only supported at the side, it is being hit from, uh, sorry, on the side it is being hit from, how on earth would it still be standing? I guess we're meant to expect that it has large embedment depth. So, uh, So what do those braces do? All right. So, Kevin, here's the thing with uh, the wall and also with the truck hitting it, the way I see it. We talked about the wall before. I couldn't tell you what episode number it was in. I I apologize. But um, if I remember correctly, we had a listener write in and say, it's not going to matter which side those supports are on. They're still going to do their job sort of holding up that wall. They're still going to be, you know, providing support and structural support and strength. Um, The only stupid thing about having them on the outside is that it basically gives a ramp for anyone to climb up to, to just climb over the wall. Right. Um, So really inside would make more sense in that respect. In terms of the truck, uh, the truck after Spencer shot the guy driving it kind of swerved and first crashed into the tower that Spencer was in. Yeah, the porch. The porch, and then hit the wall. So I think most of the the primary impact went against the porch and not the wall. And we don't know what was on the other side of the wall of, uh, you know, maybe it was right up against a building. That's true too. It could have been right up against a building. You never know. Uh, But I think the the impact was diffused a significant amount by that porch or that tower. Because when Spencer comes down, there's debris everywhere and he can't get out the door, right? The door is blocked by debris. So it's, it was, um, the, the truck didn't hit the wall straight on. Had it, maybe it would have gone right through. I don't know, but, uh, they were lucky in that he was able to kill the guy and then it went out of control and drove into the tower instead of hitting the wall straight. I'm pretty sure it would have uh, driven through the wall, just as Kevin says. Yeah. Cause they're just metal panels, right? Yeah, they're, they're corrugated metal panels, just kind of held up, mostly to block sight, line of sight from zombies so they can't see you. Mm-hmm. And that's basically the only real purpose of it. Yeah, well, then they're lucky They're lucky it hit that tower first. Yeah, because Kevin, it, I'm pretty sure you made up the word embedment. Embedment? In, He's embedment. a civil engineering student. That's a made-up word. That's not a real word, embedment. No, I think it's a real word, embedment well, of, depth. Of course it's a real word. I was making fun of <laughs> the word embed. Well, see, I don't know anymore. <laughs> it's a good word. I like it. It is a good word. It's a $3 word right there. Yeah. Okay, Dave in Buckeye Nation, not sure what that means, but I'm going with it, writes... The Buckeyes. 
I guess That's so. Some kind of sports team. Oh, like Leaf Nation. I live in Leaf Nation. Yeah, what's a Buckeye? A Buckeye is uh, the Buckeyes. I don't know. You look that up. I'll read Dave's email. Dave says, I think we are getting the seeds for an internal brain issue with Tara. <laughs> she experienced dizziness. She forgot Denise's name. And a bit of foreshadowing by Eugene pointing out that the worst that could happen could be fatal to Tara. I believe Denise's diagnosis of Tara is wrong, and we will see some character building when Denise has to try and save Tara in a future episode. Unfortunately, I do not believe Tara and her fist bumps are long for this fictional universe. <laughs> so Tara has like a like a, a brain tumor or something like that, and um She's going to get all friendly, or her and Denise are going to become good friends, and then Dr. Cloyd's not going to be able to save her. It's going to be really sad. Oh, it's too bad. Yeah. I mean, if if only she wasn't pregnant. If only. <laughs> Don't know what all that right, is All right, so the Buckeyes are uh, Ohio State Buckeyes. That's what I've found out so far. Okay. Buckeye Nation. I understand it now. I mean, they, they call it Leaf Nation up here all the time for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and um, it's just a thing. So Buckeye Nation is probably the same thing. Yeah, okay. So we have Paul in uh, Leicester? Yeah. Leicester? Leicester. Leicester? Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm it's, no, it's in England. It is in England. We sh- I could have. We should have looked this up before to get a pronunciation. Um, but isn't there a cheese with a similar name? You're the cheese guy. I am the cheese guy. I don't know. All right, read, uh, read Paul's All email. All right. Is anyone else worried about Olivia in the armory who has been instructed to shoot and keep shooting? If anyone comes, I get a bad feeling that someone will be accidentally wounded or killed in the next episode as they scramble for weapons to use against the oncoming mega herd. I kind of agree with that. Um, yeah, there is so a she's cheese. a chicken in a bucket kind of thing, right? Sorry, there is she's a just... cheese. Red, red, uh, <laughs> I can't pronounce it, but it's red Leicester cheese or whatever. God, we're idiots. Um, anyways, uh, Olivia. Yeah, she's yeah, standing chicken there. Chicken in a bucket. She's uh, she's it's stuck inside this building. They just left her there with a gun pointed at the door. So and with instructions, shoot anything that comes through that door until it's so, on the ground and stops moving. Basically, yeah. So let's hope Olivia is not a complete idiot and recognizes friend from foe. Yeah, let's let's hope. But they really made a point to show her standing there pointing that gun at that door. But you said last time, I think, that she's probably back in the closet by now. So Yeah, because you tried to hold up that thing for five minutes and you couldn't. And she's not going to be able to hold up a, a, a firearm at arm's length. I don't think I could hold up my arms empty, like I'm holding a pair of scissors, but uh, at empty at arm's length for any real length of time. Well, no. that's because you don't practice it. No, of course I don't practice. What the hell? <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Why would I practice do, that? Do some yoga once in a while, man. You'll be able to do that in no time. Yeah, yoga's fake. Oh, boy. All emails <laughs> can be sent directly to Jason. <laughs> um, anyways, yeah, I hope Olivia's not going to kill someone either. I think uh, it would be a bummer if she did, but, you know, one wolf ran off with a gun. That gun's probably going to kill somebody, and Olivia has a gun, and that gun's going to probably kill somebody. Oh, man, so those two, Olivia's going to marry that guy. <laughs> the gonna wolf? Have a, they're going to have, yeah, they're going to have a gun wedding. A shotgun wedding. Sort of. All right, one more email here to read, and this comes from Zach in Bulls Gap, Tennessee. Now, you're talking about a cool place name. Bulls Gap is it. Bulls Gap, Tennessee. Yes. What is a Bulls Gap, Jason? 
I do not want to speculate. <laughs> now, Zach's email has some mild comic spoilers in this, so it is our last email. Um, if you want to jump over this one, that is ex- understandable, but they're pretty t- mild spoilers, I would say. Zach writes, you all were, you all were puzzled about how some of the wolves were chopping up some of the bodies for some of the Alexandrians. And you also thought back to how the group uh, found the truck full of walker torsos with the W carved into their foreheads. If I remember correctly, the home of Negan and the Saviors was lined outside their fence with armless and legless uh, walker torsos on spikes. I believe it was a way of defense from walkers in the same way that Michonne used armless, jawless walkers to walk among them safely. So we have covered this, but he sort of references the comic a little bit. This did happen in the comic. Um, So I don't remember if you're up to that point in the comic or not, Jason, but... I am not. That was a spoiler for me. All right. Well, I apologize. No, that's fine. But this did... No, I'm taking one for the team. I know what I'm getting into with with this podcast. Exactly. So this did happen, and uh, Zach points that out. So, you know, maybe that's where we're going here. Maybe, you know, maybe they've taken that idea and applied it to something different on the show, or maybe that's exactly where the show is going. I don't really know, but uh, there's only one way to find out, and that is to keep watching. So... Uh, it's interesting. I don't know. They've been planting these armless zombie torsos in for a little while now, so it's got to pay off at some point. Yeah. I sure hope, anyway. I sure hope so, too, actually. Yeah. So I'm looking at Street View of uh, Bulls Gap, Tennessee. Uh-huh. And it looks like a really nice place, and I kid you not, there is an easy street. No kidding, eh? It's just off North Main Street, and uh, <laughs> there is an easy street in Bulls Gap, Tennessee. Bulls Gap. That is an amazing town name. <laughs> looks like a nice place, too. Lots of wide open country. That looks lovely. Named for an early settler named John Bull. Oh, right. Okay. So it's not an actual bull. It's John Bull's Gap. That's right. I, I want to know what that is even less. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. All right. Thank you so much to everyone who wrote in. Uh, like I said, we got billions of emails for this episode. Wow. Um, about the tortoise and the A stamp and, uh, you know, Enid being a, a wolf. These are all, all great information, like you said. And the whole Enid thing, we're going to find out where that's going. There's got to be more to her story. Um, because now, especially because she's disappeared, right? She took off and left Carl to just survive somehow note. So there's got to be something going on there. It'll be interesting to find out. Yeah. Um, all right. We will be back uh, on Monday night when we are recapping episode three of season six. I've got one or two title reads for that episode. So if you want to read the title for the next episode, go look it up and uh, read it and send it in. It's called Thank You. That's right. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. Um, And and send it in. We'll We'll get a few of those on the air if we can. And that'll be fun. So in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can send email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit talkingdeadpodcast.com and click on send voicemail to send us a recorded message. Or you can find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on the Facebook at facebook.com slash the Talking Dead. And uh, please don't forget to use our Amazon link when you do all your shopping at Amazon. You can visit amazon.talkingdeadpodcast.com to be taken straight to the U.S. store, or if that's not the one you want to use, 
visit talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon, and you can click on the store of your choice. We appreciate everyone who does that, especially as we get into the holiday shopping season now that fall is here. Um, all right, so we'll be back on Monday, like I said. Until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Happy Back to the Future Day, everybody. Yay! Bye. Bye.